0: You know, last week, we began our new series here, um, which is about bringing our faith into the workplace. And as we talked about then, the topics that we're going to be talking about here in this series, while, you know, put specifically in the workplace, really are things that could apply to anybody, whether you are presently employed someplace or not. And uh, today's topic is, is certainly an example of that, where um, what we're talking about is uh, how to deal with difficult people. And, you know, in the workplace, you know, if, you, if you've got somebody that's really difficult to be around there, it can really make work going to work kind of difficult, challenging. But it's not the only place where we can experience difficult people, is it? I mean, you can experience that in families. You can experience it in the neighborhood. You can experience it, uh, you know, all, all over the place. So um, it's important to try to figure out how do we deal with difficult people. And when it comes to uh, difficult people in the workplace, what we can see is that one of the most toxic work environments, I think, uh, would, would have to be what David experienced in, um, um, in, in the Bible as we take a look at this as he was in the employment of King Saul, uh, who was a difficult person. And David was very gifted in many ways. So he was able to fill multiple jobs for King Saul. The first job that he had was that of court musician, where he would play the harp, and he probably sang, he wrote songs. He was there to cheer up King Saul, you know, to bring him uh, joy as he faces the challenges of life. The second job that he had was uh, something that was, you know, really different than that one, and it was to lead the army of Israel into battle against the Philistines. So one day, when um, David was there with his first job with King Saul as the court musician and he's playing the harp and Saul, his employer, takes a spear and throws it at David's head. Now that's a toxic work environment, you know? And it's not the only time that he does this. He does this multiple times. So what is David going to do about this? How does he deal with this difficult work environment? How does he deal with this difficult person? Well, as we take a look at this, uh, I think that those of us who need to deal with difficult people in our lives might be able to learn a thing or two about dealing with difficult people from, from David. So here we begin here with 1 Samuel 20. What we'll see here is that this is the place that David starts. Uh, he starts by trying to uh, discern the facts of the situation. And it says this, uh, 1 Samuel verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Then David went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So the two friends came up with a plan. And the plan was to find out the facts. Did Saul truly intend harm to David or did he not? Now you might think that the answer to this question is a bit obvious if you think about the spear flying at David's head. You know, uh, unless maybe you might want to uh, really give Saul the benefit of the doubt and think that he just was a powerfully bad aim, you know, with that, and he was throwing it at the lamp or something. But uh, it seems to be pretty obvious, but they're not taking anything for granted. And when you and I are having problems with someone, it is important, even if it seems obvious, it's important to step back and to take a look at the facts of the situation because people tend to be emotional creatures, right? And with emotional creatures, what we have is there can be a a clouding of reality. You know, everything can seem like a difficult person at times. Uh, So we need to step back, take a look at the facts of the situation, and, and see what's really going on there. Sometimes it's easy to demonize the other person. If they said something that didn't sit right with you or, or something like that. It's, and if you have a conflict with somebody, it's, it's pretty quick. You can find yourself becoming an expert on their hidden motivations and um, believing that uh, they've always had it in for you or something like that. But you've got to ask the question, is it really as sinister as it all seems? Might there be really some other explanation to what's taking place here? So before proceeding, it's crucial to have accurate information, or you will run the risk of maybe saying something or doing something you're going to regret later when you find out the facts of the situation. And it's possible even that you, if you head down the wrong road without first checking the facts, you might wind up becoming the difficult person in the situation. So Jonathan and David devised a plan, and the plan was this that Saul, Jonathan's father, David's employer, was to have a feast. And he was inviting a number of people, and and both Jonathan and David were supposed to attend. But they devised this plan that David would not attend, which under the present circumstances seems like a prudent decision. And uh, Jonathan would attend, and Jonathan would go, and he would take a look and see what his father, David's employer's, response was to David's absence. And as it turned out, Saul erupted. It was obvious that he meant David extreme harm. And uh, so Jonathan went back, reported to David on the facts of the situation, which led them to step two, step number two. And this was what they did. So, step two, David ran. He ran for his life. And one might say, wait a minute what about talking this thing through with the offending party? What about trying to uh, achieve a reconciliation? What about uh, going to the one and talking with them about it? Well, we're investing in them. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to invest and talk to somebody when they're throwing a spear at your head. I mean, that's, that's tough to do that. So instead, David moved his body. He got it out of the way of the spear. And uh, if you are, however, in a truly abusive situation, and it has been confirmed to be that, and especially if there's a power imbalance where there's very little that you can do about it, then in many, many of those situations, the most important thing that you can do in in many situations, the, the thing that you must do is recognize some healthy boundaries and get out of there and run. Now, I urge caution here, okay, Because few of us are in a situation as dire as David's situation. And it's easy when the going gets tough just to simply run or cut your losses, whatever it might be. Marriages, for example, are places where um, it's going to take some hard work. It doesn't always go right. It can sometimes be difficult. They need to be fought for and rarely, if ever, run from. Employees in an employment situation, your employees, you know, who might be a difficult person, if you maybe think outside the box, take a look at it a little bit differently, maybe put put that person into a different position, a difficult employee might become the star employee, might become the best of all employees. However, boundaries can help you to recognize what's acceptable and what's not. And... It's possible to even lead up to your boss, you know, in that kind of a situation, to to invest in that person so that things are a little bit different there rather than running. But there are also those times when after all else has been tried and the truth of the situation has been discerned, that the best course of action is to run. So David ran. He ran for his life. He gathered around him a group of warriors, these rejects, these people that they wound up calling David's mighty men, and they lived off the land, they slept in the caves, they fought the Philistines, and they, and they ran from King Saul, which is what they were doing when they, Saul and his army came looking one day for David. And we catch up with them in 1 Samuel chapter 26, where it says this, The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hekela, which faces Jeshimon? Ah, yes, those pesky Ziphites. (laughs) Aiding the villain in the story against the hero. And there will be Ziphites in your story as well. Ziphites are those who really don't understand. They don't get it. They require a lot of forgiveness. Ziphites are the ones who uh, a difficult person oftentimes gathers around themselves to enable them and allow them to be able to behave and speak in a way that makes them difficult. That's what the Ziphites are. When I was pastoring in, in Denver, um, and we, we had a preschool that I referred to as the Norman Bates Preschool because it was psycho. And we... And we um, you know, it, it was this way really because of the leadership of it. I mean, the, the idea was great, you know, be able to reach families and, and help families and, and things like that. But uh, the preschool director was one who constantly got into fights and, and, and I mean, in some cases, you know, really kind of really outright fights with parents and guardians of the kids so that the police were called to the preschool on a pretty much daily basis. And, you know, the secretary would look out there and look out the window and say, well, <clears> the <throat> police are at the preschool again. You know, and the director was the reason why I, I, I got the, a copy of the book, the Pastoral Guide to Psychological Disorders. You know, because this woman was nuts. You know, in clinical sense. Um, however, you know, how would a person like this get away with all that? Well, one way, she surrounded herself with Ziphites, You know, people that really didn't quite get it that somebody that was that close to them might actually be crazy and uh, surrounded herself with these people who could enable her and allow her to be able to get away with difficult behavior you know and that's the way that it can happen is that is that you, you, if you got a, a difficult person in your life oftentimes they are surrounded by these people that you know bible you know refers to as ziphites so verse 2 Saul went down to the desert of Ziph, which by the way is a great place for Ziphites to live, with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hekelah facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. It's hard to miss an army of 3,000 men. And... Harder still to sneak up on Saul, who's camped in the middle of the 3,000 men. And yet that's what David did, as the story continues. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp with his spear, that very spear that he had used to thrust at David, stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me? Abner! Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who's like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard the Lord the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord the king. What you've done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug?" that were near his head, Saul recognized David's voice. And he said, Is that your voice, David my son? After realizing that David could have done to him the very thing that Saul was trying to do to David, Saul woke up to reality. You know, a new day dawned for him. There was a conversion that happened for him here. And then Saul said these words, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have erred greatly. Now, why did David not harm Saul when he had the chance? I mean, when somebody in your life is a difficult person and they are causing you pain, don't you want to get back at them? Don't you want justice in that moment? I mean, come on. And this would have been justice. But he didn't do that. Instead, what he identified was this, that Saul was the Lord's anointed. The word anointed refers to when a king is first declared to be a king. He's declared by a prophet who takes oil and pours it over his head. And that's the anointing oil. That's the the Lord's anointed. And when we're talking about the Messiah, the word Messiah itself literally literally means anointed one. So Jesus is God's anointed. And when when David is looking at Saul, what he is seeing is someone who's got God's fingerprints all over him. He says, I'm not touching him. That's up to God. He He can take care of him on his own. I'm not touching him. And when you and I are facing difficult people, here's the thing, is that that person, that difficult person, is also a person for whom Christ died. He's a person for whom Christ spilled his blood. He's a person who has God's fingerprints all over him. He's a person that God breathed that breath into that person's lungs, that difficult person's lungs. He's a person that, that God has designed certain plans for that person when this person was first created and first formed. And God has plans for that person still. So how do those plans get lived out? Maybe through one like David. Maybe through one like you. Colossians 3.23. Paul writes these words, "...whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord." not for men. In other words, see that even that difficult person as though that difficult person actually were Jesus. Now, you know, when we read certain passages, we think about Valentine's Day and all this kind of stuff, we talk about love. You know, that's great. But the question is, what do we mean by love? What does that look like? Well, what it looks like in this context is this: being able to see even a difficult person as though that person were Jesus and loving them as you love Jesus. Whoa. How might that change things? Paul quotes a proverb in Romans 12 when he says this. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, there is a judge on the judge's seat, but that judge isn't you and me. That's God. God takes care of justice. Now, what do we do? On the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, if you're dealing with a difficult person, what does that difficult person want you to do in response? They want you to behave like them. They want you to be on their level. Okay, And what's loads of fun, you know, you, you want some kicks, you want some good entertainment, take a difficult person and instead love them back. It is like putting burning coals in their heads, and, and you can see the, the, you know, what, what the fun part is, is you can see the, the wrench go into the gears, and, it, and it's like, wow, don't know how to handle this. That, that was Saul. How do I handle this? David didn't try to kill me. I'm trying to kill him. He didn't try to kill me. And in that moment, there can be, like Saul, a conversion that takes place. If a person doesn't know Jesus, that's an opportunity for them to get to know Jesus, to discover that maybe there might be something more to life than having to scratch and claw and fight for certain things. You know, I, I wish I could say that you will never have to deal with difficult people in your life. I wish I could say that, but we're not in heaven yet. We're in a place that is composed of sinners in need of a Savior, you and I among them, which means that we're going to encounter difficult people. Let's hope that we're not difficult people ourselves. But how do you deal with difficult people? We do it as David did, which means you approach it differently than the world does by bringing your faith into the workplace, by bringing your faith into whatever that situation might be. And uh, you allow God to live in you and through you to be able to handle that situation, give you discernment. This is the way that David handled it, and David became king. Not only did he become king, but he also became known, even more importantly, became known as a man after God's own heart. Please stand and let's pray together.